0: Using an overpriced trash bag. Pricey, pricey, pricey! A bag that breaks. Whippy, whippy, whippy! Or a smelly bag. Stinky, stinky, stinky! Time to switch to hefty, ultra strong trash bags. Always at an ultra low price. Hefty, hefty, hefty. They're best bags yet, and they cost less than Glad Force Flex were sold head-to-head. So, you'll be... Happy, happy, happy. happy. Hefty Ultra Strong with Arm & Hammer Odor Control. Available at Sam's Club.
1: Hefty, happy, happy.
0: Blog Talk Radio.
1: Hello and welcome. You're listening to the Change Agent's Dilemma for Tuesday, December 7th, 2010 on Blog Talk Radio. I'm your host, Heather Stagel, coming to you live from Atlanta, Georgia, as I do every two weeks on Tuesdays at 11 a.m. Eastern Time. This show is one of the many ways I help equip individuals to lead organizational change at Enclaria LLC. The Change Agent's Dilemma is how to influence change without authority, and this show is a resource for people who are leading change from the middle to understand how change works and learn new ideas for how to implement it. Today, my guest is Rick Maurer who is here to share some insights on how to get beyond the wall of resistance. Rick is an advisor to leaders in large organizations on ways to plan and implement change successfully. Many organizations and consulting firms have applied Rick's unique approach to leading change. In 2009, Rick created the popular Change Management Open Source Project, a free resource for people from around the world who are interested in leading change in organizations. Since the publication of the first edition of his book, Beyond the Wall of Resistance, in 1996, His opinion has been sought by a number of well-known media outlets. The new paperback edition of Beyond the Wall of Resistance was released this year in June. And the new focus addresses the question, why do 70% of changes in organizations still fail? In addition, Rick teaches at the Gestalt Institute of Cleveland, and he is also a fledgling part-time jazz musician in the Washington, D.C. area. Rick, welcome to the show.
2: Thanks, Heather. It's good to be here.
1: So you talk about or I just mentioned, that uh, your book is focused on why 70% of change initiatives fail. So, why? <laughs> why do 70% of change initiatives fail?
2: <laughs> um, well, it, there, I mean, there's some some obvious reasons why some changes fail, because they lose their funding or there's a shift in the political climate or the marketplace. And th- those changes probably ought to fail. But there are, what the research is showing is there's some organizations that just have these chronic failures. And there, there are a number of things. I mean, sometimes it's they just don't know what to do. Uh, that's pretty rare in this day and age, but but sometimes they don't. They don't have a good way of looking at, at change. And that's kind of sad because there are plenty of really solid change management models out there. Uh, the second, which is a bigger problem, is it's not the not knowing what to do it's it's not being able to do it like i could sit on saturday afternoon and watch sports on tv and never go out and practice never play with the team and then think that i'm ready uh you know to play in the super bowl uh, or the masters i mean it would be it would be crazy and everybody would think that would be crazy but we do exactly the same thing in organizations we give people books we send them to training and then we expect them to go out and perform and generally perform on the big stage and with no chance to learn, just as an athlete might learn or a musician might learn. I mean, in any other profession, you've got a chance to practice. And in managing change, you don't. You just go out and do it. And so consequently, we we revert back to bad habits or things that we saw happen, and we we, we don't have uh, a built-in feedback loop to, to help us uh you know, to help us say, wait a minute, what would work here? And and what, what kind of options do I have? Because we're just under the gun. And when you're under that kind of stress, it's just hard to think straight.
1: What are the implications of the 70% failure rate? And what does that even mean?
2: Well, well what it means is <clears throat> the, the kind of changes uh, that generally they're talking about are kind of big changes. Uh you know like merger integration uh any kind of reorganization you know new quality improvement things uh things like lean six sigma and and all, but things that affect the lives and also affect the corporation or the organization uh in a big way and so what it means is when these kinds of changes fail <clears throat> there are a lot of uh missed opportunities you know, you've put all of those resources—a lot of time, a lot of money—you've uh, put them into something that doesn't go anywhere. You've just—you know—you've uh, just shot yourself in the foot. And and some, you know, and I know that a lot of people listening to this are middle managers, and those stale changes can have a personal impact because they're handed a change quite often from somebody else and say, "Okay, now it's yours. You have got to make this work." And if they don't have the support they need or the resources aren't there, generally senior management doesn't step back and say, you know, we didn't give Sally what she needed to be a success. They go, no, Sally can't cut it. So suddenly <laughs> right. it has a very it's strong Sally- personal implication for Sally and Bob and all of those other folks who are trying to do good work.
1: Yeah. It also brings a lot of cynicism when ah. there's this big thing, you know, Big change happening and then it doesn't work. Well it's just flavor of the month kind of idea.
2: Right? Well, exactly. And 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 so the next change and the change after that and the one after that just get increasingly more difficult because that cynicism grows. Um and you know, there's an old Groucho Marx song where he's saying, "Whatever it is, I'm against it," and it's that kind of thing gets bred in organization. And then we tend to blame those people for being resistors, and it's anything but that. It's uh, they're, it's actually a survival mechanism. If the change really is a flavor of the month, they're kind of wise to not get get behind it because they're going to be left out on a limb.
1: Right. So, well, you just mentioned resistors. What what is resistance and how do you know when you have it?
2: Hmm. Um, <clears throat> the, the definition that I like best I got out of one of the Webster dictionaries, and it, it simply is any force that slows or stops movement. And the reason I like that is there's no value judgment. It's just any force that slows or stops movement. So that sometimes resistance, like the brakes in your car, for instance, are a good thing to have. Uh, or alternating current in electricity. That's a good thing to have. uh... And then some. But whether we like resistance or don't like it, it's in the eye of the beholder. So for you, you might be just you're you're not going along with this change because it seems like uh, a flavor of the month, and you're saying I don't want to I don't, wanna, I don't be wasting valuable resources on something that I know is not going to go anywhere. From my standpoint, as a person who who was trying to introduce the change, I see this resistance. So often resistance is in the eye of the beholder, uh, but basically it's anything that slows or stops movement, and it's a natural part of living. We people listening to you right now—I hate to say this—are resisting doing something else. You and I are, you know, because well, we make choices, and that's making a choice. Like, hey, right. I want—I want to, you know, it's—it's it's, <clears throat> uh, boy, it's that Monday again. I—I I, want to talk. I want to listen to Heather and. And so there's other things. I hate to remind him of that, but there are other things going on. And the same thing <laughs> yeah, is, doesn't you know,
1: mean they should stop listening. Oh right? no, no,
2: no, <laughs> no. Sometimes you should. Uh, you're powerless under resistance, so you ought to just keep listening. Um, but that's true for all of us. And so we just we make choices all the time. And uh, from somebody else's point of view, it looks like resistance. For us, it's just a good choice.
1: Right. Yeah, I've heard somebody describe resistance as people aren't doing what I want with the speed and and enthusiasm that I expect.
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, how dare. Right, they? Like you
1: said, it's in the eye of the beholder. It's the yes. eye of the eye of the person who wants something new to, to be done. Yeah. Really? Yeah.
2: yeah. Well, you know, and that's another part of it, kind of in my definition of resistance is I think resistance occurs in the dance between you and me. In other words, you're not the supporter, and I'm the resister, but something is going on in that relationship that's either causing support or causing resistance and If we look at it that way, now we have some real options for working with with each other in different ways rather than you blaming me or me blaming you, which is the more most common way of dealing with resistance
1: well what are some of the ways that resistance manifests itself how How do you know that someone is resisting? What, did, okay. what are they doing? Because it's not necessarily that they're
2: saying "I resist." <laughs> <laughs> right, right. Uh, well, you know, but that one, uh, I think, in the book I call it "In Your Face Criticism." That's the most obvious one, and you know, you you would have to be from a different planet to not recognize that in your face criticism. You know, you see temples bulging, you know, and the, you know the blood rushing to their faces, and they're pounding the shoe on the table as Khrushchev did uh, in a conference many, many years ago. I mean, that you get. But there are much more subtle forms that are harder to pick up, but are critical for anyone trying to lead a change to pick up. For instance, uh, the, uh, it's a thing a client of mine once called malicious compliance, mm-hmm. and you know, and he said people would do just enough to keep me off their backs. And he said it took me months to realize we weren't making any progress, you know, on this. So paying attention to that. Uh, Sometimes it's sabotage, like people doing stuff actually works against the change. That that doesn't. I don't see that happening in organizations as much because it's a risky one. But malicious compliance, uh, you know, is you know is alive and well. Uh, another one is is confusion, and this is a tricky one because on one hand, confusion is just confusion. I you're talking, and I don't have a clue what you're talking about. And so I'm going to ask questions. Could you say that again? Or what about this? What about that? But sometimes confusion is a mask for not getting at what's getting in the way. So one thing that your listeners can do, in fact, you and I could do, is if we keep explaining the same thing over and over again, we keep getting the same questions, the issue is probably not confusion. It's probably not safe for these people to talk about the real issues going on. So, so those are some of, some of the ways to spot it. Okay.
1: So then, what are some of the sources of resistance?
2: Okay. Well, I think there are three major sources, and they all can play off of each other. So they're not independent of each other by any means. And the first one is, I don't get it. And here's where confusion really does come in as a legitimate thing. That I just I, I just don't know what you're talking about. Uh, I've I've seen well-meaning managers get up in front of their staff and present a lot of financial data and it probably would have been helpful if the people in the room knew how to interpret financial data but they didn't and so this well-meaning manager is giving people a barrage of numbers and people don't know how to make sense of it so that's confusion and uh, the, the, the sad thing is Often, when we get resistance, we think that's the source—that is, people don't understand—and therefore, we ought to explain it again, and we ought to explain it longer and better, and we, we add and louder more, and louder, yeah, yeah, and, we, and and since PowerPoint seems to be the influence tool of choice, uh, sadly, we add more slides to the deck. I mean, it's just and it's a, we kill people with information. If people need information, that's a great thing to do. But but often, as I said earlier, that uh, I don't get it. Stuff is really a mask for something else. You know, so that I might say, "Hey, uh, Heather, could you go back to the last slide? I have some questions about that budget projection." You know, that's that seems like I'm interested in the content that that I'm interested in having getting gaining some clarity and talking with you in an intellectual way about that. When in fact. There's something else going on, and it's not safe to talk about the what else. So another source is, I don't like it. So you have, I don't get it, and I don't like it. And I don't like it is based on fear. And that's, there's something about this change that scares me, um, that I could lose my job. I could lose face. Uh, I could lose control, uh I, I could feel incompetent, like I'm an old dog, I can't learn new tricks. Boy, I couldn't possibly learn that new software system. Whatever it might be, get is really very deep and very personal. And it's very, very hard to talk about that kind of stuff. And in fact, in most organizations, there's not an opportunity to talk about that stuff in any kind of meaningful way. So it stays underground. Uh, and that is a huge one. And that's... You know, What you need in, in many big organizational changes is people to be engaged, people to volunteer, people to you know, roll up their sleeves. And what happens, all that emotional energy that might go into engagement goes into managing the fear, which is, you know, how do I slow this down? How, where's my resume? How do I get it out there? What am I? And so that change becomes highly personal. And I really don't care about your change right now. I care about my survival. And so that emotional component is a huge one that that can either work for us or, or work against us. And then so, so we've got, I don't get it, I don't like it. And the third one is, I don't like you. Uh, so here, the resistance has nothing to do with the change being introduced and has everything to do with our relationship. Uh, so... Let's. You, you said something earlier about flavor of the month. So let's say I'm a leader who, you know, I, I buy a new book, I get excited, we get started on something, and then a month later I find another book, and so I throw that one aside and we get started on something else, and I come walking into a staff meeting today and I've got a book under my arm,
0: <laughs>
2: you know, and you go, oh, no, not again, and it may not, you know, it might have been a gift for, for my wife. I mean, you don't know. But it's, it's a book, and like Pavlov's dogs, you start to salivate. You go, uh oh, this is dangerous. And so there are a couple of reasons why this source of resistance uh, can occur. One, it could be our history together. I have a history of not being reliable or you know, not providing resources or making promises I don't keep. But it also might have nothing to do with me personally. But have everything to do with who I represent. For instance, hi, I'm from headquarters. I'm here to help. <laughs> uh, uh, you know, so it can be management, labor. It can be, you know, it can be cultures. It can be racial. It can be age. It can be gender. It can be any number of things. And it's really critical that you understand uh, what those kind of issues are. Like, are those issues working in your favor or are they working against you? And a lot of times and people don't pay attention to that in any serious way. And the change management literature doesn't really talk about that source of resistance, the, the I don't like you or basically I don't trust you. And, okay. you know, and if we did talk about it, if we did pay attention to it, those leaders who tend to be successful pretty consistently have a great relationship with people. Uh, that is, people trust them. You know, maybe they don't even don't like them a lot. They don't want to actually hang out with them. But boy, they trust him. You know, the, I remember uh, in Barry Goldwater's autobiography, he's kind of the patriarch of conservatives in America. That he wrote it at the height of the Reagan revolution, uh, who by for many uh, Reagan was considered to be kind of the godchild of, of Rockefeller, kind of bringing a lot of this stuff to life. And and Goldwater said, you know, for my money, the best president of the last hundred years was Harry S. Truman. Truman was on the other end of the political spectrum. And he went on to say, the reason I say that is I never went to bed at night wondering where Harry stood on anything. You know, and there's that kind of, you know, maybe, you know, we really are, you know, kind of oil and water kind of interpersonally, but boy, I can trust you. And I trust your judgment and I know that you know the industry we're in. And so yes, I, and so it's far more likely that I'm going to follow you. So it's, so it's. I don't get it, I don't like it, I don't like you, or I understand it, uh, I like it, you know, uh, boy, I like this idea, tell me more, and I trust you, which is what you're looking for.
1: Great. So, um, it's kind of a gimme question,
2: because
1: <laughs> 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 so I'm going to ask you, how do you overcome resistance? <laughs> and I know you have a, an aversion to that phrase.
2: I do, I do. <laughs> so, so let me start with the aversion first. Yeah. The most... When I did a literature search when I was first writing about resistance, overcome was the most common word attached to resistance. And I suggest that that probably gets in our way. Because as soon as we get resistance, we think, how do I overcome it? Which basically means, how do I destroy it or how do I overpower it? Mm -hmm. It's, It's hard to build relationships when you're treating somebody like an object when you're you're trying to get them to do what you want without any interest in who they are or what they might want. That doesn't mean you give up on your stuff. But but it, it really it turns the world into a win lose place. And there are places, uh like in sports, where that's perfectly legitimate. Uh but in the workplace, uh that can really come back to haunt you. It's just you build a rep you start to get a reputation like and people don't want to work with you and and people will start hiding things they won't tell you the truth and and, and on and on it goes. Uh, so how do you work with it? I think um, this will sound like an odd word, I think to your listeners, but the notion you need to embrace resistance. you really need to get curious about why people are resisting because without that knowledge. You're just coming up with tactics like more PowerPoint presentations or coming down hard on people without ever knowing what the problem is. So you need to know, do people get it? Do they understand it or not? Do they like it? What's their what's their reaction to this? And to what extent do they trust you? And once you know that, now you have an opportunity to work with that. Um, so, for instance, uh, let's say that um, one of your listeners uh, is, you know, is in charge of of some change and that he finds out that a lot of people are scared because they think they're going to lose their jobs because these kind of changes in other organizations often result in downsizing. And your listener knows, no, you know, that's not going to happen here. I don't think it's going to happen here. That would be a good thing to talk about. You know, even, even if, you know, that guy can't make a promise to at least address it and say, you know, if if I, I remember, I was working with the head of nursing in a place one time, and people uh, and people were having all of these kind of polite conversations with her, like, well, uh, well, well, Peggy, when will this start? Da, 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 all the kind of, you know, do you understand it or not stuff, and I was watching her work, and I said, you know, I don't think that's what's going on. Uh, with the group I mean I think they're I think they're afraid I said what are they afraid about she said I think they're afraid they're going to lose their jobs I said okay you've got another group coming in in a few minutes by all means respect them answer whatever questions they ask but uh, but speculate and so she did I mean people ask these safe questions because it's always safe to ask when will it start how much will it cost you know what department will be affected first all that kind of stuff And I remember she answered those questions, and she stepped forward, and she said, you know, if I was in your shoes, I'd be afraid for my jobs right now. And that room changed, and people started nodding their heads. And she said, I do not have a crystal ball, but I really think – that if we go through this with this change, that we are actually going to be adding more security to our positions rather than less. Here's why I think that, but I have no guarantees. I I can't predict the future. It was a huge thing to say. And then she said, would some of you be willing to work with me so that we can go through this change in a way that, you know, the change is successful, and we protect our jobs in the best way we can. She says, "I'm not making promises, but would some of of you be willing to work with me?" And a bunch of people said, "Yeah, I'd love to." You know, <laughs>
1: yeah, but, that's a great way you know. to engage people.
2: Yeah, but you can only engage people if you know why they're resisting, right. or you know whether. Or it's, have an idea. Yeah. Yeah. And so what about
1: how yeah. do you how can you tell if somebody who doesn't like you?
2: <laughs> That's a very hard one. It's a really really hard one. Um the, we don't really want
1: to see that, right? I mean, most people would ignore every effort or any every uh evidence that somebody doesn't like them.
2: <laughs> yes, yeah, you're be. absolutely right. Um the so it's hard for people to tell a boss in particular, "Hey, I've got real problems with you." Yeah. Um and 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 as you suggest, we don't want to hear it anyhow. So everybody's conspiring not to tell the truth. And one of the things, if if any of the people listening have coaches, that person is in a great position to say the emperor has no, clo- no clothes on. Um, you can do quick surveys, um, to anonymous surveys. There's a thing I talked about in one of my books where I call it call Coffee with Joe. And every work team has a Joe. Joe can be either gender. Joe is the kind of person who will tell it like it is no matter what. And Joe does not understand the phrase career limiting move. I mean Joe <laughs> you know, Joe will just say it, you know. And if you have somebody like that, they're a great person to talk with. And you're not asking them to name names, but you're saying, hey, you know, you know, you know, I've been trying to get this, this change up and running or whatever, whatever. Can you tell me, without naming names, what's the word on the street about me? And, you know, I seen as a, as a good steward of this kind of stuff or what? And if you've got somebody like that, they'll tell you. Um, another thing you can do is if often with my clients, they have somewhat of a clue of how they're seen. And so I'll say, all right, why don't you speculate? And why not in some safe environment, maybe it's with one person or a couple people, or maybe it's a team of people, say, hey, you know, if I were you right now, uh, I might be thinking, oh, this this is one of Rick's flavors of the month, you know, and you saying it can have a huge impact because people go, oh, he knows, and they still might, you know, not want to give you the full whammy, but but they will start. You'll see head nods. You'll start to see something that gives you a glimmer. Uh,
1: uncomfortable laughter. <laughs> yes, exa-
2: yes, yes, very much right.
1: so. So then, uh, what do you do with that information i mean well
2: um uh, one of one of the things to do is take it treat it as legitimate information, and that doesn't mean that you give away the ranch that you give in, but that rather than my trying to convince you. I get curious about why you think that way, and I get curious about the difference between how I see what's going on and how you see what's going on. And you can imagine being in a situation where that other person isn't trying to change you, isn't trying to make you do anything else. He or she is just curious about how you're connecting the dots and treating you with respect. I mean that's pretty rare in most of our lives. Uh but when that happens a couple of things happen. One, if I'm the one, you know, really being curious about, you know, why you're thinking this way, Heather, because I think in a different way, for me I'm going to learn something. If I'm generally curious, some stuff that might influence what I do or how I do it. The second thing is you start to see me differently and you st- and it also often allows you to let down some of your guards, some of your defenses because you realize no rick's Rick's a fair guy he's treating me fairly, and so you might be more willing to explore things so it's it's <clears throat> so it allows conversation, allows dialogue to start taking place i mean that that's one thing um, and then the other is the the peggy the the head nurse that I'd mentioned before, saying, "Would you be willing this seems to be a big issue?" Uh, fear of downsizing or whatever, or we won't be able to serve these kind of people who are really important to us right now. Would some of you be willing to work with me to make sure that we are able to address that? So you take that very resistance and say, would you be willing to work with me on that issue? So you're not making promises. You're still moving ahead with the change. You're not stopping it. <clears throat> you know, you're But you're saying, would you work with me so that we can go ahead with this in a way that... Addresses these concerns, and so there's nothing manipulative about it. There's nothing in there trying to overcome. It's really working with people to try to work on it together. To say, how can we make this work?
1: Okay. Now, is this something where you have to have all three? Yeah, people need to get it. People need to like it. People need to like you in order for resistance to be gone. That's probably not even the right way to say that, because right? there's always going to be resistance of some yeah. kind. Of but. Uh, can you can you work on two out of three? <laughs> you
2: know. I... <laughs> uh, now we're bargaining, huh? Uh, <laughs> yeah, no, you, well, it's it's a really good question. Uh, the answer is you're much better off if all three are in place. That is, if, and I believe that if you think of those three things as sliding scales, in every situation where we're trying to influence someone, people are either kind of get it a little bit or get it a lot or don't get a a, a little bit a a little bit confused or just are wildly confused same thing with liking it somewhere on that emotional scale anywhere from fear all the way up to you know raring to go and then on trust mistrust uh you know like oh no you know i'm I'm, I'm really scared about you know his his ability to lead on this or on the other side wow she's really good um if we can pay attention to all three of those are alive all the time. They're either working for us or against us. Now, if you can only do two out of three, you're probably better off. But if you can really get to those three in sync, you, you know, th- then you have the strongest chance of, of being successful. Um, and if I was going to start anywhere, I would start with the relationship one, the trust one, yeah. Uh, and then deal with the change, and then kind of deal with the the potential confusion. It's not that I would want to do them in order, but if the trust isn't there, you could talk all day, you could have the best slides, the best experts, and people aren't going to buy it because they're not even listening. I mean, right. physically they're just not listening because they're too And a afraid. lot of times
1: if the trust is there, they might do it anyway, even if they don't like it or they don't get it. They'll just go with you yeah. anyway.
2: I know, I know. I it's so funny, I have a, uh, a, a there's an organization I work in, huge organization, over 100,000 people. And one of the most senior people, the COO, kicks off management development courses in person because he says they're that important and I want everybody coming to know that that you're, you know, that what you're doing, folks, is that important to the company. And he always starts it off with a Q&A session. He offers PowerPoint uh, the, the 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 company shows you know to Wall Street and that and, and he said I'm glad to go through that or we can just do a Q and A Q&A. and everyone uh, I've ever seen does a Q and A because they they right. like that and it's amazing people who have never met him before at the end of that trust him. And I would even say to people, kind of, you know, just nudging him, I'd say, Well what if he came in right now and said, You know, I've got this idea for it's change, I haven't had a chance to think about it much, and I need a few people to volunteer to work pretty much full time over the next year. I said, Would you would you volunteer? And most everyone I talk to goes, yeah. And I go, What you don't even know what it is. You don't even know if it's good <laughs> for your career. You know, so so the first and second source aren't even addressing. It. And he said, No, but but look at him. I mean this guy this guy's really good. He's he treats people with respect. He knows his business. Uh, I, you know, I'm willing to bet that this is right. going to be a great thing to do. So, so you're absolutely right. If that trust is there, it, you know, you could abuse it, obviously. But it, man, it just takes you really far. And wh- one of the things it does is, and people listen to you differently. They're listening with a, a desire to give you the benefit for the d- of the doubt, rather than, uh huh. See, she said it again. That means downsizing. <laughs>
1: Great. Well, uh, Rick, we're out of time, but I wanted to give you an opportunity to share where listeners can find out more about your book and and also what you do.
2: Okay. Um, The best thing to do would be to go to my main website, which is uh, rickmauer.com, and Mauer is M-A-U-R-E-R, M-A-U-R-E-R. And th- there's stuff about the book, about my work. Uh, you mentioned the free change management open source project, which is, as of this morning has 699 members from over 30 countries. Uh, so if you're interested in change, this might be a great thing to you know to go in and take a look at the resources and you and, know and engage in some discussion groups, all that kind of stuff. Um, and also you can you can sign up for my newsletter, which is free, and my see my blog and all that. So just RickMauer.com.
1: Great. Well, thank you so much for being here. I enjoyed our conversation.
2: Yeah, so did I, Heather. This is is a real pleasure.
1: Thanks. The next show will be in 2011, so I'd like to wish everyone happy holidays and a happy new year. In the meantime, if you would like to find more resources and learn how we might work together to help you influence change in your organization, please visit www.nclaria.com. Thank you so much for listening to the Change Agents Dilemma. Take care and best wishes for your change initiative.